Hey guys, it's Dawn. If you would like to hear the How My Parents Raised Me podcast ad-free, and if you would like access to subscriber-only episodes, join me in the What's the Truth community. You can join via the Apple Podcast app. There's a link right there in the app. Or go to whatsthetruth.supercast.com. Links are in the show notes. Don't miss out on all the extra content I'm sharing. I can't wait to see you over there. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. We lived on our nerves because you never knew what was going to trigger him, what would make him explode, why he would trigger. It was very, it was exhausting. So you got really good at reading his facial expressions, his body language, tiptoe around, be really compliant, pleasing, keep the peace. You forever felt like you were walking on eggshells. Make sure everybody's happy. Do whatever you need to say, whatever you need to, just to try and keep everything calm. Welcome to How My Parents Raised Me. I'm Dawn Chitty. When we are born, we arrive here as pure and perfect souls. And the direction our life takes from that moment is deeply connected to what our parents bring to our lives. And what our parents bring to our lives is deeply connected to what their parents brought to their lives. And that's the cycle of families. I have always craved connection with real and raw stories to understand what makes you, you. What makes you the absolutely unique human that you are. Stories are medicine for the soul. They can connect us and they can change the world. And so in this podcast, I'm listening to beautiful souls sharing their story. What happened to them, how they got through and how they have healed and thrived despite everything to arrive right here in this moment. Content warning, if you are triggered by the themes of this podcast, please seek a helpline in your city. Hey, my beautiful friend, if you suffer from anxiety and are sick of all the ways it's taking over your life, please take a look at Panic Away. For over 10 years now, Panic Away has been showing people how to break anxious patterns and get their old carefree self back, the person they were before anxiety ruled their life. Panic Away shows you how to break the anxiety loop and it gives your nervous system a chance to relax. It's totally drug-free and highly successful, and it helps people with all levels of anxiety. Panic Away comes with a full money-back guarantee, so you really have nothing to lose and everything to gain. It's time to take back control of your life, your happiness, and your freedom. A life free of anxiety is like living an entirely different life. Click the link in the show notes for access to Panic Away. 
welcome to this episode of How My Parents Raised Me. Today I'm talking with Michelle and Michelle was raised in a physically, verbally and emotionally abusive home. Her mother suffered from severe depression and her father was a narcissist. From her very earliest memories, Michelle remembers anxiety and fear, feeling highly responsible for her struggling mother and in constant fear of her stepfather. Michelle reached out for help only to have it backfire, making her situation even worse. Michelle is now the emotional resilience coach on Instagram and uses a lifetime of experience to help others to find their light bulb moments on their journey to healing. Please join me in hearing Michelle's story. Hi, Michelle. Welcome. And thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Dawn. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Can you think back to your early childhood, say around the age of five or six, and think about your earliest memories and what were your feelings around that young age? Do you remember? Did you feel happy, safe, unsafe? Do you remember that time? I think there was a lot of fear at that time. It was was very uncertain. Uh, There wasn't any stability. My mom had at that stage, she was single, uh, she was living on her own, and she was transitioning into a new relationship. And I, I think, you know, my early memories, to be honest, are very vague. Um, there's a lot of uh, blank spots in my early childhood. There was a lot of upheaval. There was a lot of up and down. And I think at that particular age, if I think back, I would say I can definitely tap into fear and uncertainty. What's next? You know, what's coming next? What's going to happen next? Uh, was a very uncertain, very awkward, very stressful time. My mom suffered from deep depression. We found out later that she has uh, chemical imbalances, but at that time of her life, she, I remember being very confused because I remember her often saying things along the lines of, I was the only reason she was still alive. She would often say that she just wanted to throw herself out of the window of the flat that we lived in and she wanted to end her life. And I remember a lot of responsibility, actually, from very, very young a lot of responsibility on my shoulders for my mom and her happiness. And I think kind of carried that weight for many, many years, at least subconsciously. Yes, absolutely. Wow. That's a lot for a a little child. It must've been like the weight of the world on your shoulders, wondering whether your mom was going to be around all the time. I think so. I think there was constant turmoil and there were many times in my childhood where my mom would have a nervous breakdown or she would flip out or I remember maybe I was a little bit older maybe I was about seven-ish I remember I was seeing my paternal grandmother every second weekend I wasn't allowed to see my father on our own my mother had stipulated that I had to see him with his mother. And so I used to go to her on the weekends and then he would come by and visit. And I remember telling them the story and I remember their their look of total horror and shock on their faces being locked in a bathroom with my mom who had totally flipped out and she was just taking every medication under the sun and then some. Uh, And she was screaming and she was crying and I remember that fear as a child watching this and not knowing how to stop it, not knowing what to do. And I think just really wanting to get away, which is what I did a lot as a teenager. But I just wanted to leave because this was way too overwhelming for me. I had no idea what to do, how to help her, how to save her. Um, yeah, it was, a lot of, it was a lot of pressure on a, on a little child. So, yeah, it was pretty rough. Yeah, absolutely. Was your mum very young at that stage? Did she have you young? She did have me young. Um, I would put her at that stage. Well, when I was, my mum had me when I think she was um, leaning towards 23. She was 23 when she had me. So by that stage, she was about 28, 29, heading for her early 30s. Very, very sad. Very, very sad woman. She spent a large part of her time crying or sleeping right um, yeah yeah and so had that been a history 
for her? Had she had depression throughout her life or was it something that happened when she had you? You, you know, I think it came before me. She was, she's very quiet about the details of her depression and her medication. She will just say things along the lines of she needed that medication and the medication that she is still on today is necessary or she wouldn't be alive. She would totally lose the plot a lot more frequently, I suppose. Her father passed away when she was, I think, 15. And their life seemed to get very rocky. My grandmother hadn't worked up until that point, And she was a, a housewife. And now she needed to find a way to provide for herself and her two daughters. My mother had a younger sister who completely lost it when her father died. And so she tried to pull it all together. There was already a lot of dysfunction from the stories that you know, you've heard and been able to put together from her own childhood. My grandmother was, she's very much a narcissist, she, but she was very much a, the more covert narcissist. So she was very into everything and everyone is against me, very manipulative, very emotionally controlling. Also was always wanting to die, actually. Even in my time, knowing my grandmother, when she was getting older, she would always cry and say that God needed to take her now. She just wanted to die. She'd had enough. So I think that there was probably a history of it already. And then obviously a lot of it would be learnt behavior because my mother would have witnessed it. She would have seen it. A lot of things that my mother has told me about her childhood, unconsciously she copied. She did it to me in my childhood. You know, when speaking to her about it, she doesn't actually remember it. She doesn't have a lot of recollection with regards to it, but she did it. So, yeah. So how do you define a narcissist? So the, the narcissist, you get, it's quite an interesting topic, narcissism, because it's um, very prevalent. It's very much a buzzword at the moment out there. A lot of people speak about narcissists. There are two main camps of narcissism. Actually, it's going to come out on my page today. I'm doing a little thing on it. And the thing with narcissists is that you can camp them into two main categories. So you're going to get your narcissist that Hollywood kind of identifies with, you know, you're very loud, you're very aggressive, you're very in your face narcissist, the one that most people recognize as being a narcissist. And then you will get the narcissist who is what they call the vulnerable or covert narcissist, which is a little trickier to spot because they tend to be quieter but they all seem to have some core things for example they can never be wrong so they can't accept responsibility a narcissist can't grow because there is no way that they're going to sit there and say yes i was in any way wrong they will always change it to be somebody else's fault so if you go to a narcissist and you would say for example i'm very hurt or i'm very upset about something it would never be because of them. They can't take it. They can't take any form of criticism because if you criticize a narcissist, it just adds to their own already self-loathing that they have. And so when you go to them with this criticism, something in them just sparks. They have this really bad knee-jerk reaction and they respond really badly. So for example, your overt, your grandiose narcissist tends to be really loud and really aggressive and they will mow you down and they will become very verbally abusive, but they will attack you. So their aggression is quite evident. You know, they're quite loud about it. They get very much in your face with it. When you're dealing with your covert narcissist, your vulnerable narcissist, they're more passive aggressive. And so they'll get you back, but they will get you back when you least expect it or in ways that you're not looking for, or they will slander your name. So they have different ways and means of going about and how it manifests within their own personalities. But I would say, um, you know, when dealing with a narcissist, they are a person who has extreme, um, they're on the extreme side of the anger trauma response. So they're living already in their trauma response, but they're living in the anger trauma response and they don't know how to manage that emotion. And so they are already hurting 
and as they say, hurt people, hurt people. And I think that's very typical of a narcissist. The narcissist will set out to hurt you. Unfortunately, it comes from a place of severe hurt within themselves, but they don't see it as that way. They just see it as you are hurting them. You are attacking them. And again, it's learned behavior. Like I said, you know, a lot of the, the behavior my mother had was learned from her mother and a narcissist, chances are they had a narcissistic parent where they learned this behavior and they felt that this behavior was okay. And somewhere along their line, it served them in some way or else they wouldn't carry on doing it. And so they, this is what they do. This is how they survive their own traumas and their own experiences. Narcissists, it's, it's a tricky one because it's such a buzzword at the moment and everybody likes to throw out their ideas of what a narcissist is. You know, I, I speak in, in a video that I've, I've done on YouTube about narcissism and how we need to be really careful when dealing with a narcissist because a narcissist for some people will trigger you. They will trigger you and they will upset you and they will hurt you and they will know all the buttons to push within you and with other people they won't have the same effect and so when dealing with a narcissist if a per if the narcissist triggers you and puts you in a state of your own trauma i always say you need to actually sever that relationship with that narcissist you need to heal your own core wounds and that's why with some people they don't have the same effect because they don't have those core wounds that they're able to trigger they're clever, very clever, very manipulative. Yes. They know how to play the game. So you, you're saying you grew up with two narcissists, your grandmother. And yeah, I, yes, yes. My stepfather, you know, narcissists are interesting because of the spectrum. My stepfather was cruel. He was the cruel narcissist. He was, he was the narcissist where he would verbally go at you, verbally abuse you, physically hurt you and abuse you. He had no control over himself. And then he would blame you. You know, he would say that it's my fault that he behaved that way. Again, it, there's that, that whole no, not able to take any responsibility, not able to see their own faults, not able to see where they're wrong. And so it was always, it was, it's about you, you're wrong. We fight because of you. You know, a lot of children, they kind of grow up and they think to themselves, that uh, it's because of them and they assume that it's because of them. In my case, I was told directly that it was because of me. It was because of me that they were fighting and he would do crazy things. He would drag me, literally drag me into the middle of their fights and their arguments and make it about me and say that it literally was about me. And he would call me all sorts of names and he would say that um, I was an instigator and I was stirring and he would be really verbally abusive towards me. My, my mom, so he was quite far on the spectrum of narcissism. He was actually bordering on what they eventually call the malignant narcissist. And the malignant narcissist almost has no remorse. Their, their conscience is pretty much left and they can do and say whatever and they will have no remorse. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't phase them. It doesn't bother them at all. They don't see how they can possibly be wrong. Where your covert, more vulnerable narcissist, they, depending again where they're on the spectrum, my mom was interesting because she, she's definitely better now than she was. So she's nowhere near what she was like. Um, and I don't know if it was because of her, her medication that they were finally able to get right. Um, also, he passed away 18 years ago. So she was able to get out of that situation and able to heal herself. But she definitely would have her own narcissistic moments and behavior. So I don't know. I, that's what I'm still struggling with within my own mind. I don't know if I would say that she has narcissistic personality disorder or she was definitely has tendencies of narcissism. So when did your stepfather come into your life? How old were you? I was probably, they got married when I was six, but I would say I was probably five when they had already started dating. It was doomed from the start. You know, they say things don't end badly. They start badly. 
and they they started badly because i i have a, a memory of crying i remember sitting in the garden and i was sobbing my eyes out because she was going to be marrying this man and we had a, a lady who who worked there I'm um, in South Africa, we have domestic workers and she was there so long. She was there and she only passed away by maybe three or four years ago. And so she was in my life from the time I was five. And in many ways and in many instances, she was my saving grace. And she would tell me, you know, much later how she found me in this garden and I was sobbing. And she said to me, why are you sobbing? And I would say, because they're getting married. Like they are already at each other. They're already fighting. There's already so much ugly in the house and yet they're still going through with it. They're still getting married. And I remember actually, I was only six when they got married, but I do remember I have a distinct memory of being so confused about why these two got married. It made absolutely no sense to me. So he was in my life from pretty, pretty young he was a very, very complex character. He didn't have children before I'd come along. He had been in a boarding school in England from the age of four. And his parents were living in Kenya and they shipped him and his brother off onto a ship to go to boarding school in England on their own from when they were really, really little. And so, you know, I'm no doubt, again, also a very private man. And I don't really know much of his childhood, but just looking in retrospect how he showed up, I've no doubt that he had experienced his own form of abuse as a child because a lot of his, he was very much into corporal punishment. And I'm sure a lot of that was learned behavior that he had been through. Yeah. yeah. He came into your life and did it just escalate that abusive behavior? Did it just get worse and worse over time? It did. I would say from the ages of six to 12 were when he was pretty physically abusive as well. He was always emotionally and verbally abusive, but from six to 12 was when he, he would do things, crazy things. Like I would have a bowl of soup on my lap and the bowl would slide off and it would fall onto the floor and he would, and I would have really, really long, dark hair. And he would come across and he would grab me by my hair and wrap it around his hand and pull me up the stairs and by my hair. So he's dragging me by my hair down the passage to the bedroom. And then he would give me a beating because I had spilt the soup, you know. Oh so gosh. he was very volatile that way, very explosive. We lived on our nerves because uh, you never knew what was going to trigger him, what would make him explode, why he would trigger. It was very, it was exhausting, actually. Exhausting, yes. And so was this like something that happened daily or was it just nonstop? I would say he would go through periods of time. And this is the thing is that you wouldn't know. So you got really good at reading his facial expressions, his body language, how he showed up to try and preempt when it was going to come so we could figure out, oh, okay, so the mean one is going to appear now. And so we need to all be on our best behavior, tiptoe around, be really compliant, pleasing. That's where my codependency came from, was learning to keep the peace. You forever felt like you're walking on eggshells make sure everybody's happy, do whatever you need to say, whatever you need to, just to try and keep everything calm. Obviously, you can't control what they're going to go through or how they're going to respond or what they're going to do. He was very volatile, very, very volatile. He could be pleasant. I suppose they call it the honeymoon period. So you'd go through the honeymoon period where he would be pleasant and he would be kind and he would be agreeable. And sometimes with just a snap of a finger it was kind of like Jekyll and Hyde sort of stuff you don't know how a person can do such a personality transformation like that and yet he would and he would have this absolute change in himself and then he would just be really really cruel and really nasty and really unkind and it would be both um, towards my mother and myself and yeah, my mom, she at times would try and do or say things to 
kind of prevent it or stop it or stand between, but that would also often make things worse and he would just get, yeah, nastier. Do you think that turns us into highly sensitive people because we're constantly waiting and watching and, and do you think you ever lose that? You just become quite a, a highly sensitive person throughout your whole life, don't you? Yeah, you do. Absolutely. I, I don't think I've, I've lost that at all. And I think that subconsciously, I think it will probably always be there because I will go through relationships, I suppose. I'm very lucky. I, I married a very, very gentle man, a very kind man. But I would, I think, subconsciously still look within people for those moments of that snap, that change. And no, for no reason really, but live on eggshells at times still in my life where I'm kind of waiting for the shoe to drop. You know, you're waiting for the ugly to come out of a person. I think it does make you highly sensitive and I think it does make you vulnerable because you're, you're expecting it. And I suppose it's, it's a very, it's again, it can be a very exhausting, very difficult way to live. And I think that's why I enjoyed coaching so much was that it gave me a perspective, a point of view of seeing things differently and not so doom and gloomy all the time, um, that there is a, a different side of life. But I think it's something that I will struggle with. Absolutely. I probably all, I think there are some things I've made peace with that will always be there. And to look for the positive in it though you know being a highly sensitive person means that you can also be more empathetic towards people have more compassion you know there's that really positive side of it too yes so in, in a yes. way you try and find a way to help it serve you yes and so when you were at home and you've got this situation with your mum and your dad was there anybody else that you had to turn to that you could no nobody no no I was an only child growing up um so it was just me I remember when I got a little bit older I had tried to turn to a teacher that was at my school but that just blew up on my in my face because um they were approached my parents were approached and they were very good at twisting things, hiding things. You know, I remember being screamed at one morning after she had contacted them. Her concern was she used the fact that I wasn't concentrating and I wasn't focused and she would like to chat to them. Yeah, it was, it was a nightmare. It was probably made things a lot worse for a while. It, it was interesting. It was interesting the tactics that they used. I remember being screamed at about how our dirty laundry was not to be aired for the whole world. I got those lectures. I also got lectures that it wasn't anybody's business. And then I got lectured that, you know, talking about that, that narcissistic manipulation. So instead of taking the situation for what it was, which was extreme mental, emotional and physical abuse, I would be asked questions like, are you being sexually abused? are you being molested? You know, they would go to a different extreme. They would go completely into another camp um, instead of focusing on what was actually the problem at hand. And so it, it was it got to a point where it was, it was pointless. There was no point in saying anything because it was <laughs> twisted and turned and the actual problem at hand was never really dealt with. Still to this day, actually, it's not really dealt with head on yeah it's something that that my mother doesn't really she she knows and she acknowledges she acknowledges the broad picture she acknowledges that there was a problem she acknowledges that a lot had gone wrong she acknowledges the abuse but she doesn't acknowledge the details you know right. if you bring up details then she doesn't remember that and it's interesting with these sorts of abusive homes, isn't it? That there's so many secrets, like you say, you're not allowed to talk to anybody about anything. And so how do you ever get any kind of help? It's, it's such a horrible little secret that you're living in, isn't it? Yeah. And they're very clever. They're very, very clever. They're very manipulative because they would, you know, I'm exaggerating or I'm lying or, you know, I'm making more out of it than there actually is or, Something like that. It just got yeah. to the point where it just made it worse, actually, to say anything to anybody. I remember that we had 
we had Lifeline, we had, or was, no, it was Childline. We had Childline come to our school when I was in primary school and they had done the skit where they had shown an abusive situation and was all about, you know, speak to us, let us know, trying to bring awareness. And I remember being so scared, but plucking up the courage and thinking, okay, well, maybe, maybe this will help me get out of the situation. And uh, what they did was they actually phoned my parents and oh wow, <laughs> oh wow. it just wow. was it was crazy it was crazy what I had to deal with again for weeks on end and eventually you know I got to a stage I got to an age where I just realized um I'm alone in this and uh, I just need to deal because nothing's going to change and nothing not much changed you know as I got older some things did change for the most part it stayed the same my heart just breaks when i hear that because it's just so lonely isn't it you're going through so much and you're trying to reach out and there's just nobody listening and the fact that they ring the people that you're saying are doing these things it's just ridiculous there's got to be a way for kids to be able to reach out without people going and speaking to their parents it's just awful so what about when you became a teenager? What happened at that point? How are you um, there was There was a time when I, I started just being with friends more than I was at home. I escaped home as much as I possibly could. If there was a friend who was having something, I would be there. I would, as I got older, and I think, you know, people are, are funny they don't realize when you abuse a child a child grows up and realizes as they get older that they can have a little more power and so I definitely went through a stage of rebellion where I was hardly ever at home I was always at friends homes I started dating really young and in retrospect it was just so that I didn't have to be at home and I spent most of my time, most of my weekends, where and when and if possible, away so that I didn't have to be there for the drama, the pain, the continued heartache. The, the physical abuse had, to a large degree, stopped. It was one thing that my, my stepfather always loved to do, and that was hit me in my solar plexus with the side of his hand. He would do like a karate chop into the side of my solar plexus, just out of nowhere, just because he, he felt like it. We would be driving in the car and I'd be sitting in the passenger seat and his hand would shoot out and he would hit me so hard that it would wind you and you'd be nauseous uh, just because he felt like it. Um, there would be no reason, no cause, no conversation. He would just do it. And so that still, that would still happen for a while, but yeah, the teenage teenage years were, were were my rebellious years no yeah. doubt well I think when you've been through that do you have any self-worth or self-love when you're getting treated like that no I think it's it's interesting it developed it did develop in my early 20s I think what when it came for me was after I had my first child was when it actually came for me because I realized that I needed to step up my game and break the patterns for this child, that this child needed to live a different life to the one I had lived. And I think prior to that, it was super, yeah, it was super difficult. I would say probably not very much self-love or self-esteem if I go back and I think of the relationships that I was in and the nonsense that I had put up with and even the things that I'd done to myself and that I had, had, you know, experienced within myself. I think I was, I was 18 when everybody was very worried about me and they'd sent me to a psychiatrist who in, after her first meeting with me of about 15, 20 minutes, put me on medication. And within a couple of weeks, I had tried to overdose on this medication okay. Um, so yeah, that, that didn't work either. So yeah, my teenage years up to my early, I had my daughter when I was 21. So I had her very young up to about that stage was very destructive, a very hard time. It was a, it was a spiral. I actually always say that she came to save me because when I was pregnant with her was when I started pulling myself together and picking myself up and realizing that there was 
more now that I needed to work for and live for and be for. And yeah, I mean, I had her super young, but I always say she, she had to come because she saved me. I don't know how much more I would have spiraled if it wasn't for her. Oh, that's so beautiful. I love that she came to save you. That's, that's so gorgeous. I love that. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. So what is a person who has suffered trauma as a child? What do they look like as an adult? What are they dealing with? I think it's going to vary from person to person I think it depends where and when and if along the line they decide to start that way of living because a lot of people perpetuate actually their their trauma they go back into it they live in it they will perhaps marry somebody who was just like a parent so it would be if it's a female she will marry somebody who was perhaps a lot like her abusive father or a male it would be somebody who was a lot like his narcissistic mother and they will subconsciously repeat those patterns because it's what they know it's because it's what's familiar not that they like it it's just what's normal and understood And so for a lot of people, they tend to perpetuate that trauma in their lives and that abuse in their lives. If you, if you have a narcissistic parent and you become a codependent, so I was very, I'm still, I always joke and say that I'm a recovering codependent. And when you are a codependent and you are used to being that fawn and you are used to tiptoeing around and you are used to trying to go to all extremes to make sure that everybody's happy and that there's peace in the home and when you're used to living that way and you lose your voice you carry on that through your your adult life you lose your voice and you allow yourself to be abused and you allow yourself to carry on that cycle and so it takes conscious living you know you've got to get to that point for me for me I suppose everyone was different for me was when I was pregnant at 21 with this little baby I just said okay this is this is no more I need to make changes in my life I'm not going to allow her to go through what I went through and she didn't she had the completely actually all my children because I've got four children and I look at all my children and I do I have those moments where I sort of sit back and I look at them and I think wow you know the life that they've lived thankfully compared to the life I lived it's like night and day that is very lucky because of also the man I married and he's not like my funny enough the, the boyfriends that I had were similar to my stepfather there were one or two narcissists in there and there was one or two who were at the very least very verbally and emotionally abusive the one boyfriend I had he never actually hit me but the very next girlfriend he had he was physically abusive with so I kind of broke that cycle, luckily, when I got involved with my husband. And fortunately, it's been a very warm, very loving home. But it's taken a lot of effort on my part because I could very easily slip into trauma mode. And sometimes, unwittingly, I have lived in trauma mode. You know, I have... In my own way, I've copied my mother where my mother would, if she wasn't crying, she was sleeping. When dealing with my trauma, there were definitely patches in my life where I was doing that, where I was so overwhelmed 
with everyone and everything. And I suppose my own pain that there was a lot of time where I was crying or sleeping. But was it, I was lucky that it was a different environment in that my husband is very compassionate and he's very empathetic. And so he would give me that space. Or when we first started, we were newlyweds, he used to climb into the bed with me and he used to pull the duvet over his head with me. And he used to lie there and look at me and say, okay, what are we crying about today? Let's talk about it. Um, so he was very compassionate. He was very gentle in that way to help me get out of that space where my mother was, she didn't have that. She was left alone. Yes. Kind of dark space. Yeah. yeah. How wonderful your husband sounds. He sounds like a, yeah, a, I was very a beautiful man. Yes. Wow. So obviously you had your, your daughter quite young and then you've gone on to have three more kids. So what sort of practices have you put in place yourself to heal over that time? Do you meditate? So initially, I, at times when I needed it, when I felt that I was struggling, went for counselling, I went to therapy. I'm just trying to think now. I think all in all, I probably went for about two years of therapy over the last 18 years. And then two years ago, I had had an incident in my life which had triggered me quite badly. In retrospect, it was actually probably one of the best things that had ever happened to me because it made me look at core wounds that I had not yet dealt with or had not yet, I suppose, surfaced for me. And that experience made me end up looking for ways and means, which is why I do what I do today, to heal, but to heal fully and to get to the core root of it. And so that's when I found coaching and all the various teachers that I found along the way. And I think that there are different things. I, I do like meditation. I do like the quietness that meditation brings, the stillness that it brings to that monkey mind that we all have, where it just goes crazy and all that noise just to learn to quieten that down. I think journaling has been very good to get those thoughts out. And then obviously with cognitive behavioral therapy, it's learning new ways of thinking, you know, breaking old patterns, old belief systems, old ways of thinking, like catastrophizing, very black and white thinking, kind of learning a new way, a healthier way of organizing our thoughts, our beliefs, and minimizing that pain, you know, that, that we carry with us. There's, there's, I think there's necessary pain that helps us and motivates us to learn and to grow and to get out of places where we are in a funk or we get stuck. And I think that there's dirty pain and the dirty pain, which I, which changed my life is the pain where we add on things about ourselves that aren't true. You know, we, we, we believe, we believe that narrative. We believe that story. We believe what our parents said about us. We believe the messages that we received as children. And I think understanding that that was just perception, their viewpoint, and really, honestly, them coming from their own place of pain and coming out in that ugly, mean, cruel way and looking at it from that point of view. You know, when you're a child, that's really difficult because it feels very personal. It feels very much that it is about you. But as an adult, you're able to get that different perspective. You're able to kind of look at it differently and not from a point of view of excusing anybody's bad behavior or saying that anything that they did was all right because it wasn't. But just from a point of view of understanding that this is where they had come from and this was the root of their pain and their anger and that is why they showed up so ugly in my life. It really had nothing to do with me. I could have been anybody. I could have been another child, another body, another person, another whatever, and put in that same environment. And it would have been exactly the same because it wasn't about me. It wasn't who I was. It was about them and the demons that they were fighting with. And I think when you realize that and you're able to take a step back and have a different perspective, it's easier for you to believe a different story about yourself essentially and to get rid of that dirty pain you know i think so often when you have been abused as a child when you're an adult you kind of carry this belief that there is something intrinsically wrong with you 
that there was something the matter with you that you had brought and had caused all this pain and heartache in their lives and in your lives because again this is what you've been told and this is what you've believed and as a child you're going to believe it you're going to believe that message and so i think as an adult what really worked for me with changing thoughts and belief systems and what i love to do is to look at it from a different point of view and a different perspective and to see that the pain was never about me and that the pain was actually about them and to separate myself from that. It's also easier to get to a place of forgiveness and understanding when you're able to shift your perspective and not make it mean anything about you and realize that your value and your worth is intrinsically there that you are lovable, that you are enough. It's a work in progress because you're undoing years and years and years of conditioning to believe otherwise. So you've got to be really patient with yourself and really loving with yourself. It's not an overnight process, um, but it, it works. <laughs> it absolutely works. And that's what I like to do. I love it when I see that aha moment, that click in somebody else's mind. You can see there's, there's a difference that's been made. There's a new new perspective that they see that's always that's that's so rewarding in itself absolutely absolutely so what is your relationship your i think your stepfather's passed away hasn't he but your mum's still around what's your relationship like with your mum now you know my mum and i we try really really hard with each other we've had a lot of bumps along the road the last 18 years she she remarried and her husband is very different to what my stepfather was like. I would say the one thing that still comes up for us every now and again, the way I would butt heads with her and I would feel that I need to say something is I think there is a belief in my mom where I don't know why she does it. I'm sure she has her reasons for it, but I've often said to her that she has always put the men in her life above me. And that still seems to be a point that we stick with at times. I know a couple of years ago when my daughter was turning 16, my mom was supposed to come for a, a celebration that we were going to have for her. And she had agreed to it and they were coming and she was super excited and everybody was very excited that my mom was going to come to this thing because she generally doesn't come to these things. And my husband, Shane, he had warned me, he'd said to me, listen, don't, don't count your bets yet. I, we Just wait and see what happens. And I remember looking at him and I'm saying, no, she promised me she's coming. They're coming. And that same day she phoned me and she'd had a long story about why they weren't coming. And I was absolutely devastated. And um, I, I remember him coming home and I remember a lot of that core pain that hadn't been dealt with yet had come to the surface. And I was screaming, Hashem was screaming at my husband and I was beating on his chest and I was sobbing and I was crying. And my pain was for my daughter and I was screaming at him and I was saying, she's not going to do to her what she did to me. She's not going, and I just kept saying that over and over again, she's not going to do to her what she did to me. And um, we had, we never spoke for about six months after that. And uh, our relationship was really, really strained from then on. And we've tried. We've tried to have conversations about it. And as time goes by, we were able to speak about things a little bit more without her being so defensive. But I still, I still reach that block with her. You know, we can have, we can speak about anything other than us and we're fine. But as soon as we speak about anything real and as soon as we speak about anything um, and how she affected me as a child or how perhaps she at that particular time affected my daughter. She's very defensive. There is always a reason for it. She doesn't really take ownership for it. And uh, it's very, very difficult for her to say that she's sorry. Yet ironically, I know that she beats herself up about it more than I could ever say or do she has this internal war within herself and I know she has a lot of regret and a lot of guilt and she spends and maybe perhaps part of it is um, has to do with me that I don't push it because she'll start crying and then the child in me feels responsible for her mother again and so I don't push it and then I just feel I don't want to add to her pain 
And so I back off and I don't say anything. But boundaries needed to be put in place. And so we might not have a close relationship where we speak about these things in depth. And I suppose maybe she feels some of my boundaries is there to prevent that. But I feel that as we go on in life, and I feel as she gets older, she's at times willing to discuss things more. But yeah, we try. So if, if it's normal every day, how things are going stuff, we're fine. If it's anything we're real, we're still pretty strained. Yeah. Well, it's, it's difficult, isn't it? Because you kind of want to have closure from what happened when you were younger and just even just an apology of some sort would go a long way towards that sort of closure for you, I suppose, instead of just never getting acknowledged. Well, in her own way, but again, it's always been with a lot of tears. You know, she has said that she's sorry, but it's in, in the mix of tears and crying and justification. You know, she won't ever just say she's sorry. There was always a justification. There's always a, I'm sorry, but... You know, there's always that but at the end of why she showed up the way that she did. Interestingly, my stepfather did something which I've never forgotten. He, um, I have a, a much, much younger sister. They had a, a daughter and she, when she was a baby, I suppose when he had her, maybe he realized how hard he had been on me. And uh, I was still at home. It was shortly before I left home. I left home at 19. He went into one of his rages. And I remember looking at him thinking, I, I never chose you. I didn't ask for this and I don't have to be here. And I left at 19. I packed my bag and I was gone. And, um, but shortly before that, I remember walking out of my room and he was standing in his room holding my sister. And I remember he was talking to my mom, but he timed it as such so that I would hear him. And he said to her, we didn't do right by Michelle. And I suppose that was his way of acknowledging his part. Uh, that was as much as I was ever going to get out of him. And yet, funny enough, that was enough because I, and I knew and I understood how hard that was for him. And I know he timed it. He timed it perfectly for me to hear it. Yeah. And so he did acknowledge it right at the end. Yeah, wow. it wasn't long after that he passed away. Mm. My goodness, my goodness. I, it's amazing how just one sentence like that can, can just change everything, can't it? You know, it just gives you that acknowledgement. I mean, it's, it's yeah. not good enough and none of it, is ever you know something that you can forgive but it's just that knowing that he knew that it wasn't good enough yeah yeah absolutely so so you have four amazing kids who i've seen on your youtube videos and you all look like you're having so much fun how do you get your kids so your daughter's 20 is she in the videos your daughter mm -hmm. yeah yeah so, she's in some of them yeah yeah she's the oldest yes and how do you get your kids to hang out and want to spend time with you like they obviously do what's the secret oh well from very young we have uh, really tried to let them know that they have each other and that through life people are going to come and go and yet it will be really good for them to always have that friendship you know i think we've really encouraged a friendship among each other rather than just a sibling relationship and my my oldest son he's just turned 17 he's he's everybody's best friend in the house it's quite interesting to watch their dynamics so he is my oldest her name is monique he's monique's best friend if you ask monique who's your best friend it's oh, her brother um if you ask his his youngest sister, who's his best friend, who's who, who, sorry, her best friend, it's, um, it's her brother, Liam. And if you ask the baby in the house, who's the best friend, it's Liam. So they've all um, kind of grown knowing that they have to be each other's friends first and foremost. We're very big on teaching them to have each other's back and to love each other and to be there for each other and to look out for each other. And they, as all, all kids, they've had their moments where, you know, they fight and they kill each other and they scream at each other and they fight and there's tears. And we've definitely had moments of that. And we still do, especially with the younger two. But it's really about just remembering and reinforcing and reminding them 
that their siblings, their family, that they have each other and that it's really, really important for them to have that close relationship with each other. And yeah, they, they do. We've actually often been commented, um, people often say to us that, you know, it's amazing to see how close, even though they have an age gap, the youngest is eight and the oldest, she's about to turn 20. She turns 20 in October and the oldest is about to turn 20. And yet they're so close. And I think we also, we get to spend a lot of time together because I homeschool my children. So there's also that we get to be with each other a lot. And when they have friends over, when they go to friends or when we're in social scenarios where there are other children from young, they've automatically just looked out for each other. They've just kept an eye on each other and they've been together and they've looked after each other and they've just got on really, really well. We've had bumpy roads. <laughs> all, all relationships have bumpy roads. We've had bumpy roads, but we just encourage it all the time. And we just, you know, remind them and we spend a lot of time together as a family and we'll spend a lot of time talking to each other and saying to each other you know listen this is family family's everything you've got to have each other's back you've got to look after each other you've got to love each other this is who you've got in this life and hopefully they will carry on those relationships as they themselves eventually leave home and form their own families one day our hope is that they will stay pretty close yeah, it's beautiful. I love that. And obviously you're showing by example how to do that. You're showing them with love and understanding how to do all of those things as well. So it's just a beautiful family that you've created, which is just amazing when you look at what was modeled to you. Yeah, yeah. It, it took a, I think I had a very definite idea of what I didn't want when I started out. And, and that was enough to begin with. And then as I went along, I would develop what I did want, you know, kind of focus on what I wanted it to look like. And we've had our, our fair shares of ups and downs and, you know, like all families do. And my husband and I, I think that's the thing is that right from the very beginning, we both agreed that we wanted to have a close-knit family. And we both knew and realized that we needed to put the family first always. Um, so we put each other first, and that's an example for the children to put them first, and that's what we do. And, you know, we don't get it right perfectly all the time, but, and that's, I think that's another thing, is that to teach each other forgiveness, grace, love, we're human, we're gonna mess up, mom and dad, I think I'm very big on that. Mom and dad are human beings, don't ever put us on a pedestal, which children to a degree do anyway, and then when they become teenagers, they realize, oh, mom and dad are a little bit more human than we thought initially. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> but to accept that and to acknowledge that and to say, yeah, mom and dad are human beings and we do make mistakes. And to say sorry, I think that's a thing. You know, when we do mess up, which we're never to be going to do from time to time, is to actually say sorry and say, you know what, mom's, mom's learning too, dad's learning too. You know, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have behaved that way. Like just recently I had... My, my youngest daughter, she was making me an early birthday present and she had taken a frame of photos and she had written on the frame and I had this little wig out and it had nothing to do with her. My wig out was fear and I realized afterwards that my fear was, oh my gosh, it was subconscious, but it was like, oh, my stepfather's going to kill me because my child has written on a, a photo frame and you know, I could hear him about, you know, his voice in my head about being inconsiderate. And, and so I had this little wig, I had this little meltdown. I was like, you can't do this. You can't do this. And then my husband fortunately was home and my older daughter went to go and fetch him. And he came in and he was like, what's going on? What's up, love? And I burst into tears. And then I realized that it had absolutely nothing to do with her, what she had done. And I had to sit with her and I had to hold her and I had to say what you did was beautiful and mommy really loves it and it's really amazing. And I'm sorry, you know, I don't, I don't go into details with her because she's still very young. And mm -hmm. I'll just say, I'm sorry, mommy, you know, reacted that way. But for me, that knowledge is, oh, wow, something triggered me there from my own childhood that yeah. I need to look at and just accept that I'm human. I'm not going to get it right all the time. And my healing is still going on and it's a journey. Absolutely. So, 
Yeah, it's yeah. a journey, isn't it? And at least you have so much awareness. There will be some people who don't ever get that awareness, so they're just living their life in a mess. So you are the Emotional Resilience Coach on Instagram and tell us what you're doing and how we can find you. Okay, so I am on Instagram. I'm giving little pockets of information. I'm trying to stick to themes at the moment. So I've just gone through the trauma responses and what they are. And you've seen the little little videos that we do um, as a family. And I just put little blurbs on and content and so I just give little pockets of information there. And then on YouTube, I'm also the emotional resilience coach. And it's easy to find because the link will be on my bio and Instagram. And there what I do is I go through the information in more detail. So I'll take that subject and I will speak about that subject just a little more, you know, adding more to it than you can on Instagram. And my hope is, my aim is to educate people with as much information as I can to help them in their own journey because knowledge gives you leverage over your brain. It allows you to live more consciously. It allows you to live more intentionally and to be onto yourself so that you can make the changes in your life where you need to. And just to be more empowered because I think subconsciously for so long, for so many years, I was living to a degree as a victim and I didn't, I wasn't aware of that um, because I had been a victim as a child. I was in certain relationships that I was in. I realized that I was coming out of it still as a victim and I didn't like that feeling. And so I needed to go on a journey to learn how to feel and be more empowered because I think also part of having been an abused child is we can take on that role very easily. Not intentionally, it's just because that was our role as children. You know, we kind of slide into that, that role of being a victim to our own lives and not realizing that we can actually make a difference because we actually do have that power now and to consciously learn skills because it's not necessarily, not, not that it's not in their interest, but I suppose, you know, in my case, my parents didn't have the tools and the skills to not live a life of victimhood because they were a victim to their own lives and to their own circumstances. And I think it's stepping out of that cycle, stepping out of that abuse, stepping out of that place of victimhood and taking your power back so that you can live the life that you want and be the person that you want and experience the joy and the happiness that is available. And that's my hope is to teach people those skills that I've used within my own life so that they can be better prepared, better informed and have that leverage over themselves so that they can do it too. Because I think of where I've come from and where I am now, kind of feel like I'm living proof. <laughs> if I can do it, if I can go from, from that trauma and that chaos to where I am now and show people how to do it along the way, then all the better because it's, it's a really, really empowering way to live. Absolutely. So if people want coaching from you, that they just contact you through Instagram? Yeah, they can send me direct messaging. I do offer a free 30-minute coaching call just so that we can both get a feel for what the subject is, if they're comfortable with me, if they feel that they can carry on the journey with me. And then from there, we, we carry on and we take it. So it's, yeah, it's fun. It's, it's a lot of fun. I meet a lot of amazing people. And as I said earlier, I think one of my favorite, favorite moments is having that, watching that, that light bulb go on in, in people's minds where they have their own aha moment, where they have their breakthroughs. It's just I, I do it for that. It's so exciting. It's so rewarding. Absolutely. It would be so rewarding. Well, thank you so much for chatting to me today. I have just loved everything that you've had to say. These conversations are not easy to have. So I really just appreciate how open you've been and sharing everything. And it's just been so wonderful talking to you and all the knowledge that you've got to share. So thank you so much. Thank you, Dawn. It was great. I really enjoyed it. Michelle is incredibly strong. She's been through so much and she's managed to find a path of healing and change to create a great life for her family. 
as a coach to have someone who has first-hand experience of trauma is really valuable and she has a lot of knowledge to share so please check out her socials here are the takeaways number one abusers and their actions and words are coming from their own pain if we can understand that their behavior is nothing to do with us and with who we are it is to do with their pain then we have a much better chance of letting go of that pain number two physical emotional verbal abuse and abuse of any kind is never okay if this is happening to you or someone you know please seek help if you are an abuser please seek help abuse is never okay number three healing from trauma is not an overnight fix you need to be really patient and loving with yourself so that you can lose years of conditioning to believe the opposite number four we can teach our kids from when they are born to be each other's best friends to be friends with their brothers and sisters to have each other's backs and to respect and care for each other number five knowledge is power in your journey to healing the more knowledge the more leverage we have over our brain this allows us to live more consciously and stop living as a victim and number six we are all human and we are not going to get it right all the time give yourself some grace thank you so much for being here Please check the show notes for all the links related to this podcast, including book recommendations. If you have a story to share, questions about this episode, or want to connect in any way, I would love to chat. Please come and find me on Instagram at My Big Love Project. And please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Can you think of one person whose life might change a tiny bit in a positive way? by hearing this episode please go ahead and share it with someone you know needs to hear it these stories are so important you are such an incredible soul because you are you you are unique your journey is unique and you can absolutely change the world with your story your time is precious and I so appreciate you being here thank you for joining me I'll catch you next week 